Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's the Tom Hartman podcast brought to you by Cameron Hughes Wine. There's a little secret that most people don't know about the highest quality wineries in the United States and how they work. They'll say, you know, as they start their year, okay, we're going to bottle, say, 5,000 bottles of wine this year. And so they overproduce for that, produce enough for maybe 6,000 bottles of wine. But, you know, they've, they've sold 5,000, they're ready to get 5,000 out. And so that's basically all they do under their own label. And then when they're done, they've got casks of wine left over that haven't been bottled. Cameron Hughes contracts with some of the very best vineyards in America to take that essentially surplus wine. I mean, you know, it's the exact same wine you would buy in a bottle for 50, 60, 100. Uh, one of the Cameron Hughes wines I had last week, the retail price, if you knew who the brand was, was over $150 a bottle. Cameron Hughes buys that in bulk, bottles it, puts just a simple number. Here it is, lot 506 or lot 622. Simple number on it, and you get some of the most spectacular wines at huge discounts off what you would normally pay. Cameron Hughes has been doing this since 2001, seeking out high-end wine from around the world and selling it online direct to his customers. This is not just American wines. Earning Cameron Hughes Wine the number one wine brand online. It's just extraordinary stuff. Uh, I recently sampled Lot 609. This is a Cabernet Sauvignon. It was insane. It was so good. It was bold. It was rich. It had the, the black fruit and red licorice and crushed red rock. All these, these extraordinary tastes, juicy and ripe on the palate. You got to check this out. Go to chwine.com slash Tom, T-H-O-M. C-H as in Cameron Hughes. That's his name. He, the guy who started the company and runs it. I've talked with him. He's a great guy and he's doing amazing stuff. chwine.com slash T-H-O-M. Or text the word wine, W-I-N-E. Text the word wine to 511-511 and you'll get free shipping with your minimum three bottle order. So text wine to 511-511. Cameron Hughes wine. Exceptional value. Extraordinary wine. Now enjoy the podcast. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. So the uh, Supreme Court what a mess, right? Here we got, uh, here we have uh, Senator Ken, or excuse me, uh, Justice, Associate Justice Kennedy is resigning. Um, he's saying, hey, you know, I would like Donald Trump to pick my replacement. He was, after all, appointed by, as I recall, George Herbert Walker Bush. Might have been Reagan, I think it was 88, whatever, you, you know, whenever in that year that was. So uh, what do we do? I have heard uh, Democrats, including Chuck Schumer, say, uh, you know, we should simply follow the McConnell rule. During an election year, uh, there will be no nominations considered by the Senate. The problem is that the decisions of what the Senate does and doesn't do are not made by the Democrats right now. They're made by Mitch McConnell and the Republicans because they have 51 votes and the Democrats have 49 votes. So Mitch McConnell has come out and said, screw that. I'm not going to follow my own rule. Uh, or here's the qualification. My own rule had to do with presidential elections, not midterm elections. This is a midterm election. And so I'm going to go ahead and consider whoever, you know, whatever crazy right winger the billionaire class has told us that uh, they want to have on. And, uh, you know, end of story. And by the billionaire class, we mean via the Heritage Foundation and the Federalist Society, which are funded by the Koch brothers and their other billionaire buddies. Well, what you're looking at basically is the final takeover of America by the billionaires. 
That's what's going on here. You're not going to hear about it in any other media, but that's what the hell is going on. They, they have seized control of our universities. They're now teaching libertarian economics, and don't call it that, in econ classes all over the United States. They're teaching right-wing po politics and political science classes all over the United States. You've got public schools paid for with your and my tax dollars that are teaching their children that the, the world is 6,000 years old and you can't trust uh, science when it comes to climate change. I mean, this is broadly what's going on. The billionaires now control the Republicans who control the House, who control the Senate, who control the White House, and now who control the Supreme Court. And pretty soon the billionaires are going to pick their Supreme Court justice. And we'll see. Now, there is some hope that a couple of Republicans, specifically Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins of Alaska and Maine, respectively, two women in the Republican caucus who are pro-choice, will say no to Trump's Supreme Court nominee. You'll recall that in order to get Gorsuch through, Mitch McConnell blew up the filibuster. Republican, Democrats cannot filibuster this nomination. It's going to, be, it's going to take 50 votes. And, uh, or 51 votes. And, uh, well, 50 votes if 49 is on the other side. So, you know, that's what's going on. And, you know, McConnell is saying, tough luck, we're going to hold the vote. So now Democrats kind of have, you know, arguably lost that argument that, oh, well, you know, we're just going to follow the McConnell rule. So I would suggest that they create their own brand new rule. Very simple, very straightforward. When a president is under active investigation, by the Federal Bureau of Investigation for crimes, for what may well qualify as high crimes and misdemeanors, which may lead to his impeachment, that president does not get to pick a Supreme Court justice. Oh, he is. Oh, cool. Uh, Tom Perez is with us. Hey, uh, actually, let me do a, a proper setup here. Tom Perez is the chairman of the DNC. Uh, and, uh, and Chairman Perez, welcome back to the program. Hey, good afternoon, Tom. It's always great to be with you and your listeners. I'm calling in from Brownsville, Texas, where we are standing firmly with uh, children and their families, uh, the unconscionable ripping apart of families by the party that purports to be the party of family values. It's, it's illegal, it's, it's immoral, it's inhumane, it's unconscionable, and Democrats are going to keep fighting. That's remarkable. And uh, you heard part of my opening rant there. I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on the Democratic <laughs> Party's strategy to take on, um, you know, what is inevitably going to be another right-wing crank. Uh, the billionaire class, I'm saying, has basically won uh, another conversation I'd like to have with you. But do you think that the president should get a nomination for the Supreme Court while he's under active FBI criminal investigation? I can guarantee you if Barack Obama were under active FBI criminal investigation for what may well be high crimes and misdemeanors, the Republicans would not have allowed him an, an appointment. Yeah. Well, I think we should use the same standard that Mitch McConnell used in 2016. He said, uh, when you have an election year, uh, you shouldn't have a nomination as serious as the nomination for a Supreme Court. This is a mm -hmm. critical election year, and it's an even more important election year because it comes on the heels of an election that was obviously uh, tainted uh, by uh, these um, yeah, by the the collusion between the Russian government and uh, the Trump right, which speaks uh, to my investigation you know. part. But but how do you know? Uh, Mitch McConnell controlled the Senate, so he could make up a rule and he could enforce his own rule. Mitch McConnell still controls the Senate, so how do you guys, how do you Democrats, um, enforce the McConnell rule? Yeah, I mean, we're, we, we fight like hell. We organize. We, you mentioned two senators on the Republican side who, are, who have you know, historically fought for women's reproductive health. I mean, this is about the Constitution. Uh, the Constitution's been uh, taking a beating, especially in the last two weeks, between uh, the, um, the Janus decision yesterday going after labor unions and then uh, the, the Muslim ban, and uh, before that, two uh, voting rights decisions that are going to make it easier to... Uh, uh, engage in voter suppression and uh, women's reproductive health. We we have no check and balance in the Supreme Court right now, and and uh, it's poised to potentially get even worse. Uh, and that's why this is one of these inflection points. And I've been getting calls, Tom, from friends in the last uh, 20 hours or so who've been discouraged. And I'm saying, the hell with being discouraged. We've got to fight back. We can't fight back. We've got to continue to lead with our values. We've got to articulate what we stand for. You you bring forth a nominee who um, is is 
doesn't believe in women's reproductive health, we should be rejecting that on a bipartisan basis because right. that has been a principle that has uh, enjoyed overwhelming bipartisan support. And so we, we have to keep fighting. This president does have a cloud over him, and, and there shouldn't be um, a, a nominee considered in 2018. Um, unfortunately, we don't have the votes right now, and so we're going to keep fighting and articulating these principles, but we've also we've got we, we've to fight on, on you know, multiple fronts here. And for me, one of the most important fronts we've got to fight on is we've got to keep winning elections because uh, this, this, this may be the most important midterm election uh, in the last century. Uh, yeah. Because uh, if we're, you know, if, if we're going to try to address the issue of the courts, uh, if we're going to try to address um, uh, the effort to require um, citizenship information on the census, if we're going to try to... Um, uh, uh, repeal what's happening here at the border with the um, unconscionable and illegal separation of uh, children uh, from their parents. If, if, if we're going to make sure we're investing in workers, um, I mean, uh, at my old job at the Department of Labor, um, we, we worked hard to implement a rule that ensured that when you worked overtime, you got paid overtime, and now they overturned that. We've been working hard to expand apprenticeship, and they're, they're moving the clock backward on that. We've got to elect Democrats um, this November, not only into the federal offices of the Senate and the House, but across this country, because this is a 12-year election cycle right now. The next governors that get elected, I talked to Mark Begich the other day, who's running for governor in Alaska, and uh, their state Senate is in Republican hands. Mark Begich wins that governorship, then uh, the Democrats will control the redistricting cycle for that state Senate. And that, you know, the, the congressional seats, we now know that the Supreme Court is not going to do a damn thing about partisan or racial gerrymandering. They're enabling it. Right. And so what we have to do is elect governors uh, this fall. That's why we fought like heck to help elect uh, Ralph Northam, because yeah. he's going to be at the uh, – he's, he's got his hand on the tiller for Chair- redistricting. Chairman Pr- with Bill Murphy. Yeah, I'm, I'm so with you. Do this. Chairman, I'm sorry, we're, 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 we're technically out of sure. time, and I'm going to be hit with a hard break that I have no control over in about a minute and a half. So um, there is a fundamental principle at law that you may not judge yourself. And, and a kind of a secondary, a subsidiary to that is that you may not choose who judges you, um, although, you know, there, there are obviously exceptions to that, but um, if, particularly from the prosecutor point of view. But there's a, you know, Richard Nixon had to go before the United States Supreme Court when he refused to turn his tapes over and they ruled against him. And Donald Trump may well, as a result of the investigations into him right now, end up before the Supreme Court saying, no, I'm not going to turn over my tax returns or no, I'm not going to testify about what, you know, my son did or I did or whatever, you know, Russia, et cetera. He may well be before the Supreme Court. Might that be an argument for saying, you know, we're going to withhold his nomination for the Supreme Court until we know whether or not the court is going to sit in judgment of him? Well, I think there should be a number of arguments that will be made, and, and, and I've been listening you know, regularly to your show, and I'm glad that you're putting that out there. I think, I think the upshot of this is uh, we have to fight this battle on multiple fronts. We need to be making the case that this president shouldn't be entitled to a second stolen seat in, in the Supreme Court. Uh, this president right. is um, you know, under a cloud. This president, uh, this is an election year, and the McConnell rule... Uh, if it, what's sauce for the goose is sauce for the gander, um, we need to fight this on a number of uh, uh, fronts. And yeah. you need to understand that right now, this isn't just about uh, this isn't just a fight for good jobs and good wages and health care. This is a fight for our national identity. Uh, th- this is uh, this is about who we are as a nation. Agreed. And th- our democracy is at risk. Chairman, and Chairman Perez, um, we're down here. I, I I didn't want to let you go before asking. Uh, I understand the Democratic Party is going to get rid of superdelegates. Uh, what we did yesterday was we took a very, um, I think, important step to ensure that we have the trust of the voters. We, we voted that on the first ballot uh, that uh, it will be only the pledged delegates who get to vote unless the, um, unless the outcome is already determined. So we're putting wow. the control of our, doc, of our process squarely in the hands of the people. I think that is a really important move, and I uh, helped lead that effort. And, um, and, and, and by the way, the vote in our... Our relevant committee was, I think it was 27 to 1. That's great. That's great. Chairman Tom Perez of the Democratic Party. Thank you, sir. This Take is care. the Tom Hartman Program. We'll be back with more of the news of the day and your calls right after this. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. 
a lot of other stuff in the news I wanted to share with you here before we get to your calls at the bottom of the hour. Uh, I just got this email from uh, Donald Trump. Dear Fred, Sarah, you know, I, as, as most of you know, I, I realize that we're constantly getting new listeners all the time. So sometimes I have to kind of repeat things to bring you up to speed back uh, two and a half years ago when Trump announced that he was running for president. And it started looking like, well, when he came out uh, in, in saying that he was going to protect Social Security, Medicare and Medicaid and none of the other Republicans on the platform would. Obviously, he was lying. In fact, you know, Paul, Paul Ryan has already dropped a bill in the House that would cut Medicare, Medicaid and Social Security. Trump hasn't said a peep. But anyhow, when he said that and when he said that he was going to engage in trade wars to protect American workers and bring jobs back home. I said these are positions that will resonate with the American people. These were Bernie Sanders positions. These were Hillary Clinton positions, at least the, the former. And, and I said, you know, there's a good chance this guy's going to win. So I sent $5 to the Trump campaign in the name of Fred Flintstone. And I've been, uh, you know, to get on their mailing list. And I've been on their mailing list every day, ever since. And virtually every day, I get an email from the Trump campaign. This is from their 2020 campaign, which they opened the day after he was inaugurated. Never before done in the history of presidencies. It's always been in the second year of the, of the presidency. I've been getting these emails every single day, pretty much every single day. Occasionally, I'll have a day without them. And they are just over the top. So anyhow, for dear Fred, Sarah Huckabee Sanders was kicked out of a restaurant. Kirsten Nielsen was harassed in her own home. Homeland Security staffers have been warned of increasing threats from the open borders mob. And now Maxine Waters is calling for more harassment of the silent majority. The left is trying to bully you and buy their way back into power. Not on my watch. I will always stand up for you. All right. The left is trying to buy their way back into power when the Koch brothers are committing, what, $400 million to this election? When the Mercers, the, the billionaire Mercers, are the only reason Donald Trump is in the White House? Not the only reason, the principal reason. He says, can we finally admit the truth? Democrats only care about equal rights if you're a liberal. But if you believe a country must have borders, the left doesn't want you to have a voice in America. It's time to defend our principles and the American agenda proudly vote, the agenda America proudly voted for. Please make a contribution toward our end of quarter goal to show the left that we will not be intimidated by their vicious bullying. People are getting these things every day from a campaign committee and they're believing this stuff. I got to tell you about what's happening with American farmers and the backstory to this. It's an amazing backstory. And let me look at my show today. We'll get into this in the, in the third hour. The epidemic of suicide in the United States and how Britain foreshadowed this 30 years ago. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925. Stick around. We'll be back with more of the news of the day and your calls right after this. Hartman here with you. Viagra for your brain, the Tom Hartman program, although it does not lead to stiff thinking. Okay, Ed Krasenstein is tweeting, breaking, protesters shut down the streets surrounding Donald Trump's fundraiser in Milwaukee with Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker chanting, hey, hey, ho, ho, Donald Trump has got to go, demanding rights for immigrants, women, and children. So there's that. People are actually starting to take to the streets to stop Trump rallies. Here in Portland... My daughter texted me this morning. She uh, uh, works downtown uh, uh, and, and uh, I was just going to tell you what she does, but then I thought, you know, she deserves her privacy. Um, anyhow, she works downtown near the ICE building and uh, police arrest and, and she, she texted Louise and I saying, uh, uh, I can't get to work. You know, the streets are shut down. There's helicopters going overhead. Uh, it's a total mess. Well, uh, and she didn't know why. And it turns out it's because for days now, for a week, roughly a week now, protesters have been shutting down the ice building in Portland. And in fact, uh, as I reported on this program last week, Portland's mayor, Ted Wheeler, came out in support of the protesters. But this morning, the police are cracking down big time. They arrested six people. They said protesters are delaying a bus leaving the facility, heading to the detention facility in Tacoma, Washington, presumably with with uh, uh, asylum and ref uh, seekers and refugees. And finally, uh, in the context of, you know, the, uh, the revolution, as it were, or the resistance, teachers are showing us the way in Oklahoma. This is from Jen Hayden over at the Daily Kos. Already some of the lowest paid in the nation, Oklahoma teachers haven't had a raise in nine months uh, before they went on a nine-day strike in April. Many of these teachers are forced to work two or three jobs just to make ends meet. 
Uh, it goes through this from the Associated Press. Our voices were heard tonight, says Sherry, Sherry Connolly. an assistant principal at an Oklahoma City elementary school who ended up in a Republican runoff with incumbent representative Bobby Cleveland. Of the 10 no voters in the House voting no to fund education who were running for re-election, two were defeated outright on Tuesday night. That's uh, Strom and McEachin of Tulsa. Seven others ended up in primary runoffs against fellow Republicans. Four uh, other Republican incumbents were also defeated on Tuesday, including one who lost to a seventh grade English teacher. This means 13 pro-education teachers could become new Oklahoma state representatives in one year alone. And these teachers in Oklahoma, knowing that Democrats don't get elected in Oklahoma, they're running as Republicans and they're winning. I'm, you know, I keep saying, I've been saying on this program for years and I get criticized from some quarters. You know, you say, hey, Republicans of goodwill, you know, run for political office, take back your party. And people go, ah, screw the Republican Party. No, people of goodwill, take back the damn Republican Party. Come on. Alan in Indiana. Hey, Alan, as the teachers are doing in Oklahoma. Alan, Alan what's on your mind today? Yes, sir. Which part of the uh, three-way wings in the Demo- Democratic Party are you going to be involved with? The socialists, the middle with Schumer and Pelosi, or with Maxine? Which one are you going to unite with? I am with all three, Alan. So I don't know how much you weigh, so you're going to put about 54 pounds in each one. Is that right? I don't know what you're talking about. You weigh about 175 pounds, so you're going to divide yourself into three parts. Is that correct? No, these are all Democrats. I support the Democratic Party. Uh, you know, this this is starting to sound like one of these, you know, weird uh, semantic arguments, and I have no interest in arguing semantics today. Chaz in Lakewood, Washington. Hey, Chaz, what's on your mind? Nazadrovia, comrade, is another glorious day in Trumpistan, is it not? You know, the other day I heard, uh, I think it was Chris Matthews used the phrase Trumpistan, and I thought, wow, you know, it's starting, it's starting to, to get out there. People are starting to get it. Yeah, uh, apparently it yeah, is, I, Chaz. What's on your mind? I can't take credit for it. I'm sorry uh, Chairman Perez is gone. I was looking forward to saying, uh, good morning, Tom, good afternoon, Tom. Yeah. But I want to ask you, <laughs> uh, now is despair an option? No. No, absolutely okay. not. This is this is you know the, the stakes are higher than ever. This is the time to to, to fight the hardest. I mean, you know, come on. A despair is never an option, right? Uh, you know, when I was in the second grade, I had this 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 wonderful teacher, Mrs. Clark, who um, had a hard time dealing with an ADHD seven year old, which was me. And she used to have these little sayings, you know, uh, Tommy, a wagon, an empty wagon always rattles, and uh, Tommy, even a fish wouldn't fish wouldn't get caught if it kept its mouth shut, because uh, I was always talking out in class and stuff, and you know, as the, the wise guy. Yeah, it was a different um, time then. Yeah, but but her, but, her, but her say, but her saying that I think was the was the the uh, the most important one, um, what had had to do with uh, I would say, do I have to? And she would say. You don't have to do anything but live till you die, right? So in the spirit of Mrs. Clark, the only time for despair might be as you're dying. And frankly, I'm looking forward to that because I think when I die, I'm going to merge into the light that is the intelligence of the universe. And it's going to be a really exciting thing. So I see no point at any time in my life for despair. Back to you, Chaz. um, I hope hope that's a long ways away. You think that uh, Chairman Perez can hold up the appointment or do something uh, similar to the midterms? It's not his job to do that. It's going to it's really Chuck Schumer's in the Senate. The, the Senate is where this all happens. And Chuck Schumer is the leader of the Democrats in the Senate. And he's he's I mean, you know, he may be listening to Tom Perez, but but he's got his own thing going. He's a, his own power center, as it were. And are you sick and tired of the uh, of the Republicans saying the Democrats want open borders and crime? If anybody's going to be most affected by crime, it's going to be Democrats over Republicans in their ivory towers. I'm not I'm not sick and tired of it, Chaz. What I'm sick and tired of is the media having allowing Trump and other Republicans on panels on MSNBC and CNN repeat those lines over and over and over and not push back immediately and say that's a filthy lie. It's a plain old flat out filthy lie. Chaz, thanks for the call. Uh, Cassandra in Wisconsin. Hey, Cassandra, what's up? I wish I could say I could be optimistic about the upcoming vote for the new Supreme Court justice, but I think we've already lost the seat. And for those of you who are feeling a little discouraged, I just would say the best thing to do is for us to get out and vote and really target the Thomas, the Clarence Thomas seat. 
Um, yeah, but there's no way to take down Cl Clarence Thomas Cassandra. He's, you know, he's there for the rest of his life or until he decides to retire. And, and to say, let's not, let's not engage in the fight, even if you lose the fight, it brings people together. It becomes a locus for organizing. It brings more people into the party. The last thing we want to do is say, we've lost this fight. We haven't, by the way, lost this fight. If, if Trump, Trump promised, one of his campaign promises was that 100% of his Supreme Court nominees would be anti-abortion. And he already got one in Neil Gorsuch, and he's now going to try and get a second. And this is the vote, Anthony Kennedy, who was the swing vote that has upheld Roe v. Wade over and over and over again. And so, you know, if, if, if we can succeed in peeling off Lisa Murkowski and or Susan Collins and, and, and block the nomination, as he puts up, you know, one after another after another, Republicans who are going to, you know, of course they're going to dissemble before the Senate. They're going to say, no, no, I don't, I, you know, I can't talk about that. I, it would be inappropriate for me to discuss a case that may come before the court. We all know that's BS, and the Democrats need to hold them hard to that. But I, I am not willing to cede this battle yet. Chris in Albuquerque. Chris, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom, for, for whatever it's worth, you know, I was in Colorado recently. And uh, the thought kind of came to mind being in Colorado. I mean, I'm, I'm in Albuquerque, New Mexico, but being in Colorado, like within nature, um, you know, I, I, I had the, uh, the epiphany that, you know, Colorado is very progressive. And I think it's because part of the fact that they're, you know, they're so close to nature, like for whatever that's worth. Uh, I just wanted to urge people to get out there. I mean, I'm last night I, I went to sleep just kind of feeling like, you know, somewhat discouraged. It's interesting. Yesterday morning, I woke up really encouraged to the news of um, Ocasio-Cortez winning in New York, and there's something special about her, too. Mm. I, just I just encourage people, you know, to connect the dots. I've been listening uh, to you for some time now, Tom, and I feel like I'm kind of, I mean, I'm, I'm relatively new to this whole process, but I called up my local Democratic Party, uh, the county party, became a precinct chair, that, and that's what people need to do is, you know, really... Uh, God bless really you, Chris. Yeah, come together. I mean, I became a precinct chair. Eventually, became a delegate. I'm in contact with Deb Haaland. Uh, I, I mean, I I was in support of a different candidate, but uh, but right now that we have a chance to uh, you know to, uh, to to make history and Deb Haaland, the first Native American uh, to become a, a congresswoman, I'm all for that. People, uh, get out there, uh, like like you say, get active. Call your local Democratic Party, county party, or state party. They will direct you as to where to go because. Throughout the country, there are probably precincts that are in need of precinct chairs, wards that are in need of ward chairs. There are. Uh, and there's, yeah, and in know, many so, cases, you don't even have to enter a competitive election to get that position. In, in fact, I'm guessing probably the majority of cases, and if not a major minority of cases around the United States, if you simply show up and volunteer, you got the job. And in some cases, it's a paying job. Most cases, it's not, but in some, some states, it is. It, right, and it, I mean, it's I, I do what I can. I, I, it, it's on a volunteer basis. However, it's it's well worth it. I mean, you yeah. you know, you you are make you are making a difference. And um, now I will say one thing though, Tom, is that I, I do feel like Ocasio Cortez. I, I've noticed that she's really magnetic and she has a lot of energy. And at times, I mean, this is just from my perspective what I've observed. Sometimes I, I've seen within the Democratic Party they lack the message and they are aged. So it, I think it's difficult for them to connect to younger people. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, I, it's just an observation that I made. But people, please get out there. Um, Bill Too Good out there in Tucson, if you're listening, run for a city council. I've connected to him via Facebook. Cool. And uh, I, know, I know people, are, you know, are down on Facebook. However, I have seen its benefits as well. Oh, yeah. I, use, really use every tool that's out there. And, and, Chris, I have been saying for a long time, if you're feeling despair, if you're feeling freaked out, the best antidote is action. Has that been your experience? Uh, yes or no? Uh, yeah, I mean... You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. <laughs> I'm sorry, Chris. Thanks a lot for the call. We'll be right back. It's 46 minutes past the hour. Hey, do you brush with an electric toothbrush or have you wanted to? If you're using one of the one of the older, bigger, bulkier, you know, and some of them you know, are so aggressive they can even damage your mouth, uh, tooth, electric toothbrushes, uh, or if you've never th used an electric toothbrush, I want you to pay attention. There's a new electric toothbrush. Time Magazine called it the invention of the year, right? Uh, it's called Quip, Q-U-I-P. It's slim. It's lightweight. It's about the size of a regular toothbrush. It's got a, you know, a little AAA battery inside that powers it and powers it for months at a time uh, be, between changes. And it, it 
does a really great job. It aggressively cleans your teeth, but it does so in a way that's good for your gums and good for your teeth. It's a, the perfect two-minute clean. So check this thing out. And it's great for traveling. It comes with a little tube that you can drop it in to travel because, like I said, it's about the size of a regular toothbrush, much, much smaller than your, than your big electric toothbrushes. And you can find out all about it at getquip.com slash Tom. That's G-E-T, getquip, Q-U-I-P, dot com slash T-H-O-M. Getquip.com slash Tom for more information. It's only 25 bucks, and they send you the refills, the, the brush heads that you're supposed to replace every three months. Every three months, they'll send those to you for only $5 free shipping. It's an amazing deal. Getquip.com slash Tom. So back to your calls here, uh, Greg in New York City. Hey, Greg, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom. Uh, thank you for taking my call. I was just one question I want to ask you, but one thing I want to state. I think that uh, when if we're not going to get the person appointed to the Supreme Court, they appoint appointed ultra conservative, that we need to look at the option when we get back all three that Roosevelt tried to do and maybe expand the Supreme Court by two seats. Yes, I think that Congress that has the power to do option. that in Article Three, Section Two. That's right. That's right. And, then and, and they've done it before. Then I want to ask you, that's right. Then I want to ask you, does the, can Congress override the Supreme Court? Can yes. they do that? Yes, they can. Article 3, okay. Section 2 says that the Supreme Court shall operate uh, with, the, with exceptions and regulations provided by Congress. It hasn't happened in 240 years, but it's in the Constitution. Okay, thank you very much. I, need to, I want to understand. Yeah, just, just read, pick up your Constitution find, or look at it online. And read Article 3, Section 2, Paragraph 2, and you will see exactly what I'm talking about, and your eyes will bug out of your head, Greg. It's, it's, it's absolutely, uh, you know, uh, hope-inducing, for lack of a better phrase. Lee in uh, Florida. Hey, Lee, what's up? Good day, Tom. First-time caller. Thank you, Lee. Uh, I'm glad you said what I've been thinking for a while. I don't care what happens in this. I don't care if the Democrats lose this fight, but I want to see them put up a fight. I want them to use every tool in their tool bag to fight this from night until day until it's over. Yep. And if they don't, then I've got questions for the DNC. Yep. Uh, and they're and they're going to. Going to I, if, I don't if, think I want to represent me. Yeah, and they're going to fight this if if uh, Tom Perez, the head of the DNC, what he just had to say has anything to you know any basis in reality. And and uh, you know he's been a pretty straight shooter with us on this program, even in, even in things that we've disagreed with. So I'm inclined to believe him. Hey Tom, can I can I reach back uh, a couple of days on the subject you were talking about quickly? Uh, it depends on the subject. Uh, you were talking about racism the other day, and you were talking about Pat Buchanan and stating that he thought the browning of America would erode the principles this country was built on. Right. Uh, Pat Buchanan couldn't give a rat's behind about the principles. He You're was right. scared that the browning of America would change the power structure. Yep. And that white men would lose power over America. It goes beyond and that, that's Lee. what it's all about. It goes beyond that, Lee. If you look at the Republicans, one of the things they're really good at is projecting as they're stealing elections, they're yelling that the Democrats are stealing elections. That email that I read from Trump this morning says the Democrats are trying to buy the next election when it's the Republicans who are awash in dark money. They're, they're really good at projecting. And when Pat Buchanan says uh, that his principal concern, and it's not just Pat Buchanan who's saying this, this is right across the board among the white racists and the white supremacists. When they say that they are afraid of a majority, a minority majority, you know, a, a, a black and brown majority, what they're really saying is they're afraid that what white people did to people of color for 500 years on this continent is going to be done to white people. And well, frankly, I, I, I don't believe that I that's going to happen, but that's what they're thinking of because they judge others by themselves. I can tell you as a black man, we have no thought of revenge. We just want to be treated fairly. One last thing, yep. historically speaking, uh, was it LBJ who said if you can convince the poorest white man he's better than the best black man, you can pick his pocket? Well, yes, he was describing, by the way, that, that quote, if I may, Lee, that quote has been taken out of context so many times. When LBJ said that, that if you can convince the poorest white man that he's better than the, than the, than the, the, the smartest or wealthiest black man and, and he'll let you pick his pocket all day long, he was referring to the Republicans' Southern strategy. Well, the, to get back to, to Martin Luther King Jr., he was okay as long as he was fighting for garbage work, sanitation workers, and housekeepers. What really got Martin Luther King targeted was when he discovered, had the epiphany of the Poor People's March, white, right. black, brown, polka dot, all being supporting unions. by the same system. Yep. That's what made him dangerous. Yep, and he was supporting unions. I mean, he was, he was in Memphis to support the, uh, the, the garbage workers 
or sanitation workers, I guess is the appropriate term, uh, you know, uh, strike. I mean, they, they were, they, I don't know if they were unionized or if they were forming a union, but, but Martin Luther King became a major supporter of unions and, uh, or probably had been his whole entire life. But that, that was like that. I, I absolutely agree with you, Lee. And, you know, when it went beyond just being a, a race struggle to being a class struggle, at that point, the, the class, uh, the billionaire class stepped in. And, uh, you know, and of course, you know, we know the consequences and we're still living the consequences, frankly. Um, and we most certainly are. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I just pray that all poor people, all, all people in this economy who are struggling, wake up and find that we're all in the same boat, no matter what color we are. And we need to start looking to the wealth class for the money that they're taking in the crumbs they're throwing us off the table. Yeah. Thank you, Tom. It's time to claw back some of that wealth. I'm Ed Lee. Thanks a lot for the call. And thanks for listening to SiriusXM. We'll be back. It's uh, 58 minutes past the hour. This is the Tom Hartman Program. All right, strange stuff going on at the Supreme Court. And, and let me just lay this out for you because this is, this is fairly shocking. About three weeks ago, the Supreme Court, three, four weeks ago, the Supreme Court came out uh, with a decision in a case called Masterpiece Cake Shop versus Silver, Colorado Civil Rights Commission. And they ruled that it was okay for this cake baker to say no to a same-sex couple. But the basis of the ruling, the reason that they've ruled on behalf of the cake maker was not, they said, because the cake maker had this religious right, blah, blah, blah. It was rather because the Colorado Civil Rights Commission had made, some people on the commission had made some snarky comments about the cake maker. In other words, they took the comments that were publicly made by the Colorado Civil Rights Commission and used those as the basis for their decision to say to gay people, you know, if a baker wants to discriminate against you, that's just fine with us. We don't care. That's just, you know, it's all good. Then in uh, Trump v. Hawaii, the, the civil rights case that was decided by the Supreme Court this week, in Trump v. Hawaii, they said, oh yeah, Donald Trump, sure enough, he said that uh, this, uh, this uh, uh, you know, ban on immigration or uh, visas, rather, visits from certain countries, uh, this is uh, totally legal. Uh, it's not a Muslim ban. Uh, forget what Donald Trump said. It doesn't matter what he said. And yet he's the, but he's, you know, it's literally, it's Trump v. Hawaii, right? I mean, it's, it's Trump. It's one of the parties to the, to the lawsuit, just like it was two weeks earlier, or three weeks earlier in the Masterpiece Cake Shop versus Colorado Civil Rights Commission. It seems to me like what the Supreme Court is saying here is if you're a Christian, we will bend over backwards to make sure that your right to discriminate is left intact. But if you're Muslim, your right to not be discriminated against is something that, yeah, you know, we don't really give a damn about. On the line with us is Ani Zanaveld, our old friend, the founder and president of Muslims for Progressive Values, MPV, uh, is also a founder of the uh, founding member of the Alliance of Inclusive Muslims, uh, Muslims for Progressive Values website, mpvusa.org. And uh, you can, of course, tweet uh, Ani at A-N-I Zonneveld, Z-O-N-N-E-V-E-L-D. Ani, welcome back to the program. It's been a while. Yes. Hi, Tom. Yes, it has been a while. And it's unfortunate. It's taken such a sad story to get us together. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And uh, I understand you're in, in Switzerland. Yes, I'm in Geneva at the Human Rights Council, that is where all the human rights uh, events go, which the United States pulled out of uh, last week. That, that, oh, geez, you're right. And, but that's spectacular. And that, of course, accounts for why we have absolutely perfect Skype audio and video, because Switzerland has not destroyed net neutrality like the, the Trump administration <laughs> has done. So, so anyhow, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on all this. The, 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 the Muslim ban, the state of relations in the United States, you know, how are the people of, of the rest of the world viewing us since you're in Switzerland at the, at the human rights uh, the fill in the blank, uh, you, the, the, yeah. the council there? Uh, you know, uh, go off on a riff here, please, Ani. Okay, well, sitting here in the United States, it, uh, here in Geneva, um, I was really, really stunned by the Supreme Court decision. I actually did not expect that. And I did not expect that because specifically because of the precedent from from which they made the cake baker, the cake master uh, case decision. 
Um, and you know, the the fact that okay, well, um, fair enough. Um, this the the civil the civil commission made the mistake of being um, demeaning towards religion, and I assume that was going to be the basis from which they made the decision. They were going to make the decision for the travel ban as well. But the the fact that they've been they've completely ignored. Um, um, Trump's campaign promises and his disdain for Muslims and uh, immigrants in general—it's—it's—it's it's, it's really shocking. I'm—I'm I'm deeply disappointed. And you know, as an American, um, the, the the one thing that we we knew we could always, always, always count on was the judicial system. And I feel so betrayed as an American by this decision. Yeah, yeah. What? Yeah. It seems to me that this is also. Uh, to, to dance very lightly around the uh, the trope of you know Muslims as terrorists, but it, it seems to me whether this was Muslims or any other uh, ethnic group or or uh, a political group or or uh, ethnicity race, uh, you know yeah, yeah race or, or even uh, you know country of origin you know Italians you know um, right. that that when you begin explicitly discriminating against people you empower the most radical elements among those people can you speak to that yeah and that is uh, look the travel ban that included for the most part the majority of them were all Muslim countries North Korea um, and uh, being the exception right and Venezuela um, you know, yeah, and and the thing about it, there's a lot of other, uh, you know, Muslim organizations, re, uh, countries that really should have been included if it was really going to be a Muslim ban. So I'd like to really make that distinction. Yes, there was a bias towards Muslim, and that's why only a particular Muslim countries were picked, and those Muslim countries that were picked were the ones that that I think it was um, it, it was a bone to his base. To say, yeah, yeah, I'm going after the Muslims, but in actuality, he's not really going after all of the Muslims because he's only picking and choosing. He's obviously not going against Saudi Arabia, and which really is the culprit, the the root of all terrorism. So, so that this is this is the dishonesty in this policy. And if you're going to address the issue of uh, security, well, it really doesn't address security because for you to even apply for a visa, for you to secure a visa to enter the United States, it's a grueling process. Um, even for a tourist visa, good luck you as a young man, 27, um, with no property getting a visa to the United States. Mm. Um, and it's also very expensive, not to mention the long um, interrogation process that you have to go through. Mm. But here, sitting sitting here in Geneva, uh, where this is truly a global city um, human rights council, where this is where all the human rights issues are being addressed. Um, I think uh, us as an American NGO, a nonprofit organization and a human rights organization is coming, is awakening to the fact that, okay, now we have to really speak up against our own government, uh, not just of a particular administration. Um, and and just the, the addressing a lot of the human rights abuses that's happening in, in the United States with the immigration, the, the separation of child and uh, and the mother, the issue of women's reproductive rights, the issue of LGBT rights, the trans rights, uh, the lack of the, the this is the, this is the most important part, and this is one of our key advocacy is the freedom of religion and belief, and the use of the Religious Freedom Reformation Act to justify prejudice. Everyone needs to keep your ears and eyes open for that because that's going to be the downfall of America. And that's being used by the Christian political right. And we really need to fight tooth and nail against the abuse of that um, that act. Amen and very well said. Um, just uh, We just have a minute or so left here, Ani. Uh, can you just, uh, for our viewers or listeners who have, have not seen you on this program before, uh, give us a quick recap on uh, Muslims for Progressive Values, what you guys are all about, and the Alliance of Inclusive, Inclusive Muslims. Yes, we are basically your American, good old progressive American organization that advocates for social justice, for women's women's rights, LGBTQ rights, freedom of expression, freedom of religion and belief, separation of church and state. Uh, we advocate for everyone's rights. We just so happen to be Muslim. That's the only difference. Um, the Alliance of Inclusive Muslims is basically a global umbrella organization of about 15 organizations from Latin America to Southeast Asia that are progressive-minded uh, and in align with our progressive values. Muslims are getting killed and slaughtered by radical ideology, and everyone's really sick and tired of it. I want to do one plug, Tom, if I may. Please. Two months, two months in advance of the election, 
um, MPV, Muslims for Progressive Values, have been invited to partner with some progressive faith organization, progressive evangelicals, progressive Jewish uh, organizations, and we're doing a bus tour. And um, we'll have more information on our, on our website, mpvusa.org. But there is already a website set up, and which I'll be be glad to share with you. And it's basically us faith organizations going into the heart of the territories where there's hostility towards inclusivity. And for us, as um, a intersection of progressive organizations and faith organizations, we're going to appeal for people to vote for our common values for the for the good of America. And that's that's what this best tour is about. That is great. Did you want to share that website on the air right now, or did you did you mean that later on when it goes active, you'll you'll share that with me, and I can share it with our audience? If if I may, I haven't I don't have it up in front of me, and I ah, know we're running out of okay. time, so yes. Okay, great. Ani, Ani Zanavel, the founder and president of Muslims for Progressive Values, MPVUSA.org is the website. You can tweet her at Ani A N I Zanavel Z O N N E V E L D. Ani Zanavelt, or at MPV USA. Ani, thanks, thanks so much for being with us, and keep up the great work. Thank you, Tom. Thanks for having me. Always Bye. great talking with you. We'll be back with more of the news of the day and your calls right after this. You know, in the world of work, one of the most important things is one of the things that people probably think the least about until they have to sit in it, which is their chair. And the X chair is absolutely extraordinary. This is the new high tech. In fact, they've got a brand new version. It's called the X3, the newest version of the X chair. It is comfortable. It is high tech. And yes, I'll say it. It is sexy. This chair is extraordinary and it will dramatically, consequentially improve your concentration and productivity because it's going to help your posture. And, you know, if you're not in pain and your and your blood is working, you know, flowing well, your brain is going to work well. The new X3 is quite simply the most modern, ergonomic, high-tech, comfortable office chair in the world, period. The X3's unique ATR fabric makes it feel like you're literally floating on air. And its patented split-back lumbar technology provides a cradling, customized feel that has to be experienced to believe. You need to see and feel the X3 for yourself. Go to xchairtom.com. That's xchairtom.com now to check out the X3's perfect blend of design and ergonomics. There's a lot of people, you know, checking these out and going for these chairs. Supplies are limited, so don't wait. Order at xchairtom.com. And if you do it now, you get $100 off. That's xchairtom.com. Or you can call them at 1-844-4-X-CHAIR. This chair comes with a 30-day, no-questions-asked guarantee of complete satisfaction. That's how good it is. Go to xchairtom.com. Right now, use the code TOM, T-H-O-M, to get a free footrest. XChairTom.com. Now back to the podcast. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Tom Hartman here with you. There are some um, troubling numbers in the United States happening right now. In the, in the great Midwest. There are more people living on the coasts than live in all the rest of the United States combined. That's why the coasts are blue, the Midwest is red, and, and uh, senators from states like Oklahoma have 30, 40, 50, 80 times the voting power of a senator from, say, California. And that's why Republicans in the United States Senate represent fewer than 30% of Americans, and yet they hold a majority of the seats. But there's something terrible happening to those people who are living in the, in the Midwest, those, in those Republican states. Now, these are not necessarily Republicans to whom this is happening. Uh, I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in Lansing, Michigan. And uh, the, you know, these, there is no such thing as a red state or a blue state. There are, in every state, you will find people uh, all across the political spectrum, you know, from, from Greens to Nazis. You'll find people in every single state. But what is happening right now in rural America is suicide. The suicide rate among American farmers is higher than it has been any time in the last 30 years, which is about how long we've been keeping track of those numbers. It may well be higher than it's been since the, the, the Dust Bowl. This from uh, 
Irina Ivanova writing for CBS News. The unequal economy that's emerged over the past decade, and of course we all know it's not just the past decade, it's basically ever since Reaganomics took over America and the top tax rate went below 50%, which guarantees massive inequality. The only thing that, that, that maintains any semblance of, of equality in income in the United States, and the only thing that maintains a strong middle class is a top income tax rate on top earners above 50%. And you can look at every developed country in the world and find that that's true. And when the UK and the United States both dropped their top income tax rates below 50% and 78 with Thatcher and 83 with Reagan, what happened was both those countries became, uh, the United States and the United Kingdom are the two most unequal. I mean, massively, like by an order of magnitude, by more than tenfold of any of the developed countries in the world because of this ne these neoliberal uh, Reaganism policies. So anyhow, back to her report. This is uh, from CBS News. The unequal economy that's emerged over the past decade combined with patchy access to healthcare in rural areas. Again, these are the states where the governors have refused to expand Medicaid. So if you are a farmer and you're having a bad year and your income is only gonna be you know, 15, $20,000 this year or less, you're gonna lose money this year, you have no healthcare because the Republican governors refuse to, to expand it to, to, you know, under Obamacare to expand Medicaid. So because of these two things, Reaganomics and, and the, the attacks on Obamacare, well, let me, let me just read it straight here, this paragraph. The unequal economy that's emerged over the past decade combined with patchy access to healthcare in rural areas have had a severe impact on the people growing America's food. Recent data show just how much. Farmers are dying by suicide at a higher rate than any other occupational group, according to the CDC. Rates of suicide have risen fastest and are highest in rural areas, the CDC found in a different study released earlier this month. Two different studies. And they go on to note that this year, the average farm income is projected to be 35% below the 2013 level. Now, there's a bunch of different things that affect that. It looks like the major variable here, and you know, part of it, I mean, the reason why farmers are committing India in, uh, suicide in India uh, has to do with uh, you know, Terminator seeds and Monsanto prosecuting farmers for saving seeds the way that they've been farming for 10,000 years. Um, but the other thing is extreme weather events. Extreme weather events caused by climate change are depressing crop yields in the, in the Midwest. I mean, it's fine to get rain, but when you get too much rain, your crop's drowned. It's fine to have nice hot summer days, but when you get too many in a row and you don't get any rain, your crops wither and die. And this is what happens with climate change. You don't get a uniformly warmer planet. What you get are greater extremes of weather, both hot and cold, both wet and dry. And it's killing farm income. Farm income is down 35% from just five years ago. And that in turn is killing farmers. They're committing suicide. Now, let's step into the Wayback Machine. And, and by the way, this is at the same time that the Republicans just proposed in Congress. I tweeted this out yesterday from the Washington Post. Paul Ryan, Mitch McConnell just dropped a proposal in Congress to cut $1.5 trillion from Medicare, for Medicaid, excuse me, $537 billion from Medicare, $317 billion cut from infrastructure projects, $231 billion cut from student financial aid, $59 billion cut from veterans programs, and $4 billion cut from Social Security. Now, you can just imagine what Donald Trump would be saying right now if Democrats proposed that. But no, Republicans are proposing this, and everybody's absolutely silent about it. So let's step into the Wayback Machine all the way back to September of 2002, 18 September 2002, the British Broadcasting Corporation reported on a 100-year-long study in Australia and the United Kingdom. And I'll just read this straight up. This is uh, unattributed. This is uh, apparently written by the BBC, you know, by a BBC employee. So this is copyright BBC. The suicide rate increases under conservative governments, research suggests. Scientists found the suicide rate increased significantly when a conservative government was in power. They, they analyzed suicide statistics between 1901 and 1998. 
They then looked at the political regimes dominating both state and federal governments, which have consistently been under either labor or conservative control, progressive or conservative. The researchers took into account periods of drought and, and World War II because of their economic and psychological impact. Suicide rates were, of course, higher during both of those. But after adjusting for these factors, the I'm quoting from the British Broadcasting Corporation. But after adjusting for these factors, the figures clearly showed that the highest rates of suicide occurred when both conservative state and federal governments were in power. That would be like right now in, say, Mississippi or Iowa. The, you know, we're talking about suicides in the Midwest, right? Or suicides among farmers. Mississippi's a farming state, too. Conversely, the lowest suicide rates occurred when state and federal governments were both labor. That would be in states that have Democratic leadership at the state level and you have a Democrat in the White House and Democratic Congress. When the conservatives ruled both state and federal governments, men were 17% more likely to... Now, keep in mind, this is the UK and Australia. When conservatives ruled both state and federal governments, men were 17% more likely to commit suicide than when labor was in power. Women were 40% more likely to kill themselves. The authors argue that conservative rule traditionally implies a less interventionist and more market-oriented policy than labor rule. This may make people feel more detached from society, they added. The researchers concede that ideological distinctions uh, between conservative and labor politicians have been somewhat blurred, but they say public perceptions that their policies differ still remain intact. The lead researcher, this is Professor Richard Taylor of the University of Sydney, told BBC News Online, and I quote, there is a strong relationship between a socioeconomic status and suicide. The, the research, by the way, was published in the Journal of Epidemiology and Community Health. This is a peer-reviewed publication. In a series of accompanying editorials, Dr. Mary Shea and colleagues from the University of Bristol, which is where I was a couple weeks ago visiting, visiting Sue, uh, Dr. Mary Shaw and colleagues from the University of Bristol say the same patterns were evident in England and Wales between 1901 and 2000. So this extends not just to the United Kingdom as a whole and Australia as a whole, but specifically even just to England and Wales. Rates were lower under conservative governments. They soared under the last conservative regime, which began in 1979 under Margaret Thatcher. They then fell under the more moderate John Major and have risen slightly when Tony Blair came to power. Uh, and after slight rise, excuse me, when Tony Blair came to power, have since fallen. Now, keep in mind, this is a 2002 report. This is, what, 15, 16 years ago. Interestingly, the authors point out that although suicide rates tend to increase when unemployment is high, they are also above average during the 1950s when Britain, quote, never had it so good, but was ruled by, conservative, by the Conservative Party. Again, I'm reading from the British Broadcasting Corporation. This is not an op-ed. This is a news story. Overall, they say the figures suggest that 35,000 people would not have died had the Conservatives not been in power. Equivalent to one suicide for every day in the 20th century or two for every day that the conservatives ruled. The UK Conservative Party refused to comment on the research. Yeah, I wonder why. But this is not a funny thing. A suicide epi epidemic among farmers in the United States after we already saw this play out in the UK and Australia. You know, the old uh, joke or saying, the, it's not a joke, the old saying, friends don't let friends drive drunk. Friends don't let friends become conservatives. And if they have friends who are conservatives, they turn them on to progressive media, they give them progressive books, they give them progressive memes, they help them wake up to what's really going on in the world, and, and, and we create a better world. I guarantee you the suicide rate in the United States went down when Franklin Roosevelt was elected. Guarantee you. I don't have the, I don't have the science for it, but just common sense. Right? People had hope. He brought our country back, FDR. He brought our country back from the brink. We'll be back with your calls after this. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you and Bob in Burlington, Vermont. Hey, Bob, thanks for calling. What's up? Uh, Tom, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. I want to go back to the farmer suicide thing. Sure. Uh, I, I'm immediately... Uh, suspect of anybody that says Wikipedists, but uh, yeah. that point being lost. I want to follow up on what the next step might be when we talk about corporatization and with these farms, 
when you're a suicide, normally no life insurance, uh, stress from the debt that probably caused it. Uh, well, many life more. insurance policies have a suicide exclusion clause. Yes. Most, yes. most do, and in fact. So how many of these private farms then fall into corporate hands, um, oh, the yeah. corporate farming industry? I'm, I'm looking for the conspiracy angle here. Well, I'm wondering how many of them, I mean, you'll recall during the 80s when, when, uh, when Reagan allowed for the massive consolidation of the big ag companies, um, that one of the first things the big ag companies started doing was buying up farmland. And, yeah. uh, and, and they, would, they would go into a farming community where there's, say, you know, 300 farms, and they'd buy up 100 of them, and they would then start selling their products, their produce, at below market prices. They would lose money on it and drive, progressively drive all the farmers in the neighborhood, in, the, in that town or in that county, out of business, and then they would buy their farms out of bankruptcy. And that became such a crisis as a result of Reagan's policies to begin with, the predatory practices of the big ag companies, and the Reagan administration's absolute unwillingness to do anything. The, the, if you're old enough to remember, in 86, 87, 88, as I recall, Willie Nelson was doing farm aid. They were doing, they were yep, doing these yep. fundraisers yep. in farm country because of these Reagan policies. You and I are the same age. And yeah. I think back to, well, I'll just cut to the quick. I think the antitrust elimination, we talk about how planful and long-term the Chinese are. I think that the, we've been experiencing the same thing. We've just been ignorant in, in noticing it. Corporate oh, yeah. America has been going after all these things for decades, and you know it's just sort of at low enough level that the regular old individual or the people that are supposed to have been regulating and protecting us, yep. off, off the market. Amen. And, and yeah, and, and this is, but, and you talk about thinking in long term. This goes back to 1971 when Lewis Powell wrote his memo to, to Eugene Sindor, the head of the, uh, the, uh, uh, what, what, the, chamber, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, and basically said, you know, we need to take control of the courts. They're almost there. We need to take control yep. of the colleges. They are already there. We need to take care of, yep. uh, take control of the institutions of government at the state level. They have a majority of the states. We need to take control of the institutes of institutions of government at the federal level. They're, they're there. Um, you know, it's, it's like basically all of the goals that Lewis Powell set in the Powell memo that were then ratified and acted upon by the billionaires who, who uh, you know, we need to take control of the media. They're there that were acted upon by these guys, they have accomplished or are very close to accomplishing. And that is, a, that's a, a freak show. Bob, I got to move along, but yeah, thank but you for the call. Uh, well said. Doug in uh, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Hey, Doug, what's up? Uh, this is on the farm uh, suicide thing also. Um, in that first caller that brought up uh, the whole issue of um, mixing of the workers. And yeah, the basically workers. who is a farmer? Yeah. Right. Um, and then you, you got into India, and at that point in time, I jumped from my phone, so I wasn't completely clear on what all was said. But you recall India had a um, rash of suicides based on Monsanto corn. That was the point I made, yeah. Okay, okay, good. Yeah, because Monsanto right, was actually know. prosecuting farmers for saving seed. And, and, okay. they, and the response of the farmers was to commit suicide because they had been saving seed for, for 10,000 years. That's the way right. they knew how to farm. I wonder if that has anything to do with the stats here now. I think the corporatization of farming has a lot to do with it. And, and I'm wondering, and this, uh, you know, this was the, where I was going, and then I got sidetracked with a guy who called earlier when we started talking about the 80s. I'm wondering how many of these farmers are not farming their own land. They're farming land that's owned by Cargill or you know, one of these big companies, and, and they can't make it, and they're going to lose. I mean, they literally don't own the farm anymore anyway. They're, they're, tenant, they're sharecroppers. They're tenant farmers. Um, but they're going to lose that status as well. And, uh, you know, I'd love to see some, uh, you know, a more thorough analysis of this. I, I really think that it needs to be done. Thanks a lot for the call, Doug. Salvador in Chicago. Hey, Salvador, thanks for listening to WCPT. What's up? Hi, Tom. Yeah, this is uh, Sal from Chicago, long-time listener, first-time caller. Yeah, I just wanted to make a comment about that, uh, the Supreme Court uh, decision over a Muslim ban. I found it interesting that you didn't see Saudi Arabia, uh, the home of bin Laden, Qatar, which the president had six months ago, maybe less than that, four months ago, said, Carter was housing or, 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 or his home. Source of terrorism, and yeah. Of course, and then, of course, and then of course, you know, they, 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 they paid uh, Jerry Kushner's $1 billion, you know, on 666, ironically, a 666 uh, apartment building. And now Carter's not on the list, as well as the EUI. So I want to make that comment. Another comment I want yeah. to make real quick. It's an office building, the, by the way. The Supreme Court, I'm sorry? Uh, 666 is an office building. I've been there. But and, back and, to and then there's also the, uh, and, and, then re and also regarding the, the, the uh, uh, the, the effects of, 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 of 
the Supreme Court decision over this Muslim ban, even before, even with the 1.0 Muslim ban, my daughter goes to uh, MSU, Massachusetts State University. She's a studying master's degree. Her professor is a Massachusetts uh, uh, professor, so it's MIT. She's a Middle Eastern-looking lady. She's about five feet tall, under 100 pounds. She's walking out of the store uh, just outside of, of, of Massachusetts, and two big white guys uh, stand in front, and they make her go around her. And I thought, and I thought you know, how disgusting. They, she... She has the IQ of about 20 of those guys, and, and if they only knew. But, but yeah, I just wanted to mention that. It, it's, it's horrible. It's horrible. And, and I'm concerned for my daughter now. I'm, I'm just so glad it's such a liberal state out of Massachusetts where she's yeah. saying that she will not be given shit, and I try to get her to pay. I yeah. tell her I've got all the contacts for her to get a job in architecture. She goes, uh, uh, I like Chicago dead, but I'm not going back. I'm staying in Massachusetts. Yeah, I get it, Sal. Sal, thanks for the call. Thank you all for your calls today, for your passion, for especially to those of you who have called and said that you have joined the Democratic Party and are now precinct committee people. You're now writing the platforms. You're now picking progressive candidates in the primaries. You know, God bless you. I mean, this is this is the stuff that needs to happen. I'm off to New York this afternoon. I'm doing a thing for Free Speech TV tomorrow. Jefferson Smith will be here tomorrow. It's going to be a great live show. And in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Get out there, get active, tag. You're it. I'll be back on Monday. To Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.